So we continue with Zechariah chapter, now with chapter 8, Zechariah chapter 8. Remember this is a four-part answer to the question, uh, should we continue fasting and weeping? And we saw the first two parts last week, the two parts of the answer. And then chapter 8 is two more parts. But we're going to be focusing on the last part, because that really gives the, you could say, a direct answer, verses 18 through 23. So chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, gives the direct answer, Zechariah 8. We'll read the whole chapter because it gives a good context, because chapter 7 really focuses on the fact that they were fasting because of God's judgment on them, his punishment on them. But now God says, wait a minute, now turn your focus to the promises that are before me. There's a greater reason not to fast, because there's salvation that's coming. And there is a reason for rejoicing and finding joy, even in all your hardships. So, chapter 8, we'll read the entire chapter. You'll notice that it has ten times where it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, thus says the Lord of hosts. Seven times in verses 1 through 17. Three times in verses uh, 18 through 23, which is ten times. Each number, by the way, is a, num- is a symbol of completeness. Seven, three, ten. So the Lord really wants to communicate the beauty of his perfections here and his promises. God will not fail to keep his promises. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous or jealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will return to Zion. Zion is like saying the church. I will return to the church and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men, old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the land of the east, from the land of the west, I will bring them back. They shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. For before these days there were no wages for man nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. It shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, the house of Judah, the house of Israel. So I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent, 
So again in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, and this is our focus, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, Inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord, and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let's go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Boy, exciting days coming for the church. Eh? Uh, anyway, that's, that's a little later. We have to uh, lay this all out. So, you know, last week we, we heard about uh, true fasting. A, a true fasting which is pleasing to Lord, which is pleasing to God. And what is that true fasting? It's fasting from sin. It's repentance from sin. And it's obeying God. Very simple, clear. True fasting is this, as Zachariah said in verses 7, or so verses 9 and 10 of chapter 7. Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. You know, the Bible says, as we concluded last week, to obey is better than sacrifice. You can never offer enough sacrifice to God for him to accept you. Jesus provided the sacrifice. We obey. It's very simple. According to scripture, Jesus sacrificed, we obey. Christ is a sacrifice for sin to make us right with God and by his spirit at work in us, we begin to obey out of love and gratitude for all that he has done for us. And now, you know, from Zechariah 7, we move from the warnings for not obeying God to the promises of life, the promises of joy, uh, resulting in obeying God, right? The motivation to obey God is his promises, his promises that are given to us in Jesus Christ. And those promises are bright, right? The future is bright for God's people. But God's people alone understand that by the grace of God. And you notice how chapter 7 ended? It ended with the fact that the Lord said that your land became desolate, was unfruitful. He had judged it. But now that's reversed. As soon as you come to chapter 8, that's reversed. Because of God's commitment, because of God's commitment to them, not their commitment to God, because of God's commitment to them, he will prosper the city. He will prosper his church. That's chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. He will uh, grant her her blessing. And he will make her land fruitful. That's what we see in verses 8 through 13. 
Okay, he will prosper the city. He will make her land fruitful. Those are real themes of blessing. Uh, undeserved blessings that come from the hand of the Lord. Two times. Notice what he says? As an encouragement, let your hands be strong. You be faithful in serving the Lord, but let the promises of the future uh, encourage you to continue serving me. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all kinds of things going on against you, you keep my promises in mind. Let that be your motivation. Keep your hands strong. That's his uh, words there twice over in verses um, uh, 8 and verse 13. And you see that God's presence, God's uh, choosing to dwell with his people again, that's what brings joy. That's what brings uh, feasting. And that in turn becomes the nation's envy. Okay, the nations become envious when they see how is it that they can, even in the midst of hardship, have that joy and sing and reflect the character of God. How, what, what is it? They become envious. So that brings us to verses 18 through 23. And here is the Lord's direct answer to the question from the delegation from Bethel. Remember that question from the delegation of Bethel in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 7? Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? And now is the answer. No. I will come. I will bring joy. Right? The Lord promised to bring joy and feasting in the place of fasting to his people. And that's what will make the nations jealous. We're going to see, first of all, the blessing of feasting, verses 18 and 19. And second of all, we're going to see the drawing of the nations, verses 20 to 23. Look at verse 18 and 19. The Lord promises that fasting will turn into feasting. It's a promise. Okay? The people are hearing it in terms of the future. Your fast will turn into feasting. Look at verse 19. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, they shall be joy and gladness, cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Remember why they were fasting? All those months. Those four months that are mentioned here are all related to the catastrophe that they experienced when the house of the Lord was destroyed, ruined by fire, and Jerusalem was destroyed. And the reason for that is they were disobedient to the Lord and God had exiled his people. Think of Adam being exiled from the garden and likewise now Israel being exiled from the land. And it looked like the church died. It looks like there was no church left. It seemed that way. And yet, God always remembers the promise that he gave to our first father, Adam. Right? He made that promise that one would come. And that's why he returns to her again. Not because she deserved it, but because of his commitment to his promises. He, in his grace, returns to her again. That's basically what verses 1 through 17 is all about and all the blessings that come from that. 
And we see two things here in verse 19. Notice that his promise of feasting, what does that flow out of? His, or you could say God's own commitment to his people. His people had deserted him, but God will not desert his people. As a matter of fact, he comes to forgive, to restore, simply out of his love and out of his compassion, even though they are sinful. He returns to her. He comes to live with her. He comes to clothe her. He comes to bless her. That's his commitment. More than that, he's jealous for her. This is not some sort of uh, you know, s- soft commitment. No, it's a kind of commitment where God is jealous for her. See verse 2 of chapter 8. I am jealous or zealous for Zion with great zeal and with great fervor I am zealous for her. You know, verse 2, you can see is foundation for all the other blessings in verses 1 through 17. You know another name for jealousy? Another name, another word for the jealousy of God for his people is love. This is a jealousy that is not stained with sin, with resentment, or with I'm going to get you back. It's not that kind of jealousy. It's a kind of jealousy, or you can say it's a kind of love that is reflected in a, in a devoted man towards his wife. A man who's deeply devoted to his wife. There's a great security, right? There's a great security in knowing that you are so loved. A man who is so jealous for his wife that he will, uh, he's, so that, he's that much devoted. It's the same thing with the Lord with his people, right? He, there's a great security. You find a great security in that kind of love. To be so loved is the true comfort we all need and long for. And that love is there from God in Christ Jesus. We don't gain it in fasting. We do not gain the love of God by fasting. Not at all. We gain that love of God in Christ. Christ alone. By trusting in Him alone. Embracing Christ by faith. Embracing God's forgiveness for all our sin is found in Jesus. And that becomes the foundation. That becomes the spring. That becomes the door, you could say, for the new life of joy, of feasting. A joy that the Holy Spirit gives. A joy that can never be taken away. Even the Apostle Paul speaks about that being in prison. The harshest of circumstances. He says, but I find my joy in the Lord. One person, Paul Washer, puts it this way. He says, I have given Christ many, I've given Jesus many, many reasons, countless reasons for him not to love me. There's many reasons I've given Jesus not to love me. But you know what? None of them changed Jesus' mind. None of those reasons changed Jesus' mind for me. He still loves me. And that's what God is saying here. The promise, this, this 
this, that, 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 this fast, you shall shall be joy and gladness. That's fulfilled in Christ. Christ, you could say, embodied that promise of joy and feasting. He enfleshed it in himself. You talk about God's commitment. He acts upon his commitment. He came in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember when the disciples of John and of the Pharisees asked Jesus, huh, why is it that your disciples don't fast? What did Jesus say? He says, really? You think the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? Who's the bridegroom with them? Christ. What are you talking about fasting for? The bridegroom has come. He's with them. Jesus is the bridegroom. In him the feast has come. He has become for us. He's our bridegroom. And scripture calls us his bride. In him the feast has come. Okay, the wine of the kingdom. The wine of the kingdom has come through his death on the cross. And through his resurrection from the dead. (laughs) More than that. Because of Christ's death on the cross. He clothes us. God clothes us with the clothing of righteousness. The righteous righteous clothes which we need. And which is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. See that? Cleaned up. Dressed up. Ready to feast. In wonderful clothes. All given by Christ freely for all who trust on him. Oh yeah, we wait for more to come, there's no doubt. There's a feasting that has come in Christ, but we wait for the fullness, don't we? That fullness of the feast. That marriage supper that John talks about in Revelation 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. But we're engaged. The church is engaged to Christ as his bride. The day of the wedding is coming soon. You know what? Christians may fast. It's not a command. But the fasting that does continue for Christians in the New Testament and today is with the purpose, is for one purpose. It's just simply to to remain strong in faith and to grow more and more Christ-like. So you can say fasting is not an end in itself. It can be a means whereby we may grow in our faith in Christ. We may fast. But when we do so, we do so in the confidence that our sins have been forgiven us in Christ. Our fasting does not satisfy God. Christ has satisfied God in taking our sins upon himself. So that's the thing. Your fasting will be turned into feasting, and that has been fulfilled in Christ. There it was spoken in the future, but now we can say it is fulfilled in Christ. But was yet more to come still. Second, Verse 19b, God therefore calls his people to express their thanksgiving to him. To express their thanks to him, to his grace and their provision, or his provision. How? Love the truth, love peace. Therefore, love truth, love peace. More important than fasting is the new life required of those who experience God's love and mercy. Love, truth, and peace. You know, the turning of God with compassion to his people 
is more than just changing from fasting to feasting. It's more than that. It's loving truth. It's loving peace. You could say they're twin sisters. When you love the truth, there is peace. Maybe it makes war with the world, but they don't know Christ. Because Christ is both truth and peace. We're to love him, the embodiment of truth and peace. You know, loving the truth means, therefore, if we love it that much, as God commands us to, then we need to keep on addressing our culture, Canadian culture, with the biblical truth. We need to continue to address it with the biblical truth and do so consistently with clarity, with grace, with conviction. To love the truth even means wanting to die for the truth, to die for Jesus. Right? Because this speaks of beauty, the beauty and re- the beauty of God's character, loving Him, loving His character, loving truth, loving peace. You know, as we confront the culture and all its lies, the church is called not to live by lies, not to live by the lies of this culture, not to pretend that we're living with their lies. No, the truth confronts the lie. The truth exposes the lie. The truth brings the lie into the light and exposes the darkness for what it is. The church must confront the culture because they, with these four realities, with these four realities, the Trinity, there's only one true living God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, His creation, right? God created the world out of nothing. He created the world for His own glory. The third thing is salvation in Jesus alone. And the fourth thing, the fourth reality is, it's only the Word of God that can bring true guidance into the life of our nation again. If the church takes the gospel seriously, loves the gospel, loves the truth, loves peace, embraces it, believes it, we will find ourselves on a path of conflict with the world. No doubt about it. Isn't that what God said in Genesis 3.15? That he initiated hostility between Christ and Satan, between the church and the world. We must love peace. Loving God means loving truth, loving peace. Right? We show the world that true peace, that true peace that comes from God through Jesus Christ. He's the one who reconciles us to him through Christ and only through Christ. And you know, the church shows that it believes God's promise when it acts on that command. How do you know a true believer from a false believer? When it acts on this command. Love, truth, and peace. Verse 3. I love it because God says this is going to happen. You know, not everyone in the church, not everyone of the church is in the church. But God does speak of a day where uh, he will raise up a city of truth. You could say the embassy of Christ's kingdom in the world. That day has come. Look at verse 3. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That's the church. In Jerusalem, the church shall be called the city of truth. (laughs) that's, That's where the light emanates from in the world. From the church. Uh, that's, that's the call. Living, loving truth and peace means what God says in verse 16 and 17. If you look at chapter 8. God says, don't fear. Don't fear what the world may do. 
but do this. These are the things you shall do. You speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. Do not love a false oath. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. (laughs) We obey. Uh, Like the way one author puts it, we obey God, not because we're afraid of him if we don't obey. No. We obey him because we're moved by all he has done for us. He's taken away the need for fasting. He's brought us into the joy and feasting of his salvation. And you know the proof? If you were to ask today, what is the proof of God's presence in his church? What's the proof? The proof of God's presence in the church is those who love truth and peace. That's the proof of his presence. Because he has the power by his spirit and he arms his church to be that kind of embassy which which carries out that love for truth and peace. Wow, we become more and more Christ-like by the power of His Spirit. And you know, when the world takes note of that, when they see that kind of difference, the world takes note, people pay attention, and they begin to ask, well, what, what's so different about them? Why is it that they sing at a funeral? Why is it that there's, they don't comply to the lie? Why is it that they continue to Stand in the truth. Why do they take the side of the truth? What, 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 what accounts for their, their joy and what accounts for their obedience? Wow. They will see her joy. It's like the nation's looking on. That's God's intention in all this. Not that we give pride to ourselves. Not that we're boasting about ourselves. But no, we boast of God's work. The nations take notice. They will see her joy. They will see the joy of the church. Her new life of loving truth and peace. And that's the kind of thing that will move them to jealousy. Sometimes to persecute. Sometimes to persecute, to hurt, and to maim, and to mock. Often it's out of jealousy. Because they hate what you have. And they want it. They want it. And that leads us to verses 20 and 23. It gives a different perspective here, though, in verses 20 to 23. If you look at that. First of all, what do the nations see? They will see what God has done for her. Why do they have joy? Why do they sing and feast? There's so much truth in the saying that 90% of what people hear is what they see. And look at verses 20 to 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. This is a promise. This will happen. This is God's promise. Remember? In Zechariah 7, 1, 2, and 3, a delegation of Jews, a small one, went from a small city of Bethel to seek the Lord. Their little journey, God is now saying, is a picture, is a pattern of a huge one, a worldwide one, a greater journey that's coming. 
a journey to the Lord. A journey, it says in verse 20, of many cities, of many, temp- of many peoples and strong nations. They're going to be caught up with the excitement of what God has done. And they see it in the church. You see how important it is to remain faithful to the Lord? Because God uses that. They see it. And the news will be spreading like wildfire. It will outdo CBC, CTV. This will be the news of the day. Many will invite others to join them on their journey. Come. Come. Come where? To the Blue Jays game? Oh, no, no. Come to the house of the Lord. Let's pray to Him. Let's seek Him. Because we know that God is with them. To seek God's mercy. To pray. It's mentioned three times in there. To pray. To seek. To go to the house of the Lord. Picture that here, eh? Just picture that for a minute. Picture people trashing their gods. All their gods. Just trashing them. Throwing them in the garbage. That's it with their gods. All their gods. And they abandon their temples. All the temples of the world. The false worshippers. They abandon all of it. And they come. They're streaming into the city of God. They're streaming. They're worshipping the true and living God. Coming into the church. You know, they're they come to see that the Lord is the only true and living God. And you know the ways of the world, the political gods, the religious gods, just totally empty, futile, emptiness. And they see something. There's something in the Lord that they see in the people. The promise here goes way back to Abraham. This is not something new here. Remember God called Abram to bless him. Abram was an idolater. Abram used to worship gods, other gods. But God chose him. And he chose to bless him. And he chose to bless him for a purpose. So that in him he would be a blessing to all the nations. Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And then he goes on to say, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And of course we know from Paul in Galatians chapter 3, that all who believe in Christ are descendants of Abraham, Jew and Gentile. And so you see God fulfilling that promise. God always has the expansion of his house, the expansion of his housing economy, the expansion of his church in mind. He blesses his church for one purpose, to be a blessing to the nations. In many places, God speaks of the, of the nations coming to him. You can read about Isaiah, multiple places in Isaiah. Um, you go back to Zechariah 2.11. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. So think of ourselves not as pots. What do pots do? Kind of hoard everything. It's just for me. But God intended the church to be channels. Channels of blessing. Right? Open segues to the nation to share her life, the life of Christ, to the nations. The nations will see what God has done for them. And secondly, they will also have heard 
that God is with them. See verse 23? I love that picture here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language, how many languages are there in the world? 16,000? I don't know. There's a lot. Ten. Ten men also doesn't exclude women. It means men and women. Okay? Ten men from every language of the nation of the earth will grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let's go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Wow. Can you imagine? You know, someone grabbing onto the hem of her gender. Ten people. (laughs) You don't have to go out there and look for people anymore. They're grabbing onto her to come to church. And then just imagine, ten people from every language. That excitement. You know, the Blue Jays will be very boring. And so will Hockey Night in Canada. Because this will be the talk of the town. You see, in those days, he's talking about the future. In those days. When are those days? Well, picture here what's going on. You have the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel when the languages of the nations scattered? Okay, the many, many languages that began in the scattering of the nations. And now you see the picture of the gathering of the nations. Then a divided world. And now a unified world. You know, and we're not talking here about the futile attempts of the United Nations on our new world order. That's futile. That will end in a a disaster. That's what the Lord says. It's not going to go anywhere. It will ultimately fail. But instead, there will be a United Nations under Christ. This will happen on an even greater scale. Ten men, women, from every language of the nation, they are seizing the sleeve of Jewish men. (laughs) Not to arrest you (laughs) for worshiping God, but to go with you to church. Let us go with you. Why? Purpose? Reason? For we have heard that God is with you. So the question is, when is this fulfilled? Or when will this be fulfilled? Well, on one hand, we can see the promise has been fulfilled. In whom? In Jesus. Who is the Emmanuel, God with us. We have heard God is with you. Matthew 1.23, Jesus is the God with us, the Emmanuel. And at the same time, he's the one perfect Jew whom we all must grasp by faith. The one Jew hanging onto his sleeve, hanging onto his hem. Think of the woman who touched his garment. Think of Ruth who grabbed onto the garment of her mother-in-law. Right? Grabbing onto the hem by faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They must grasp by faith if they are to be saved. There's no salvation in any other. At Pentecost, right, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, what happens? 3,000 Jews from all the different nations come together and they're converted. They go back to those nations again. And they bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And many, many millions and millions of Gentiles begin turning to the Lord. I don't think there's a Jew here, right? But I think we're all Gentiles. Again, demonstrating and showing the great wonder of God in terms of his work in our lives. But do these words of Zechariah 8 speak of people coming to the Lord on an even a greater scale yet? 
Are those days still coming in an even bigger way? Perhaps. It may be. I would dare to think so. It seems that way. Because think of what God promised Abraham. He promised him, what, descendants as the stars in the sky. Can we count the stars in the sky? He promised him descendants as the seas, a sand on the seashore. Will not his church and kingdom continue to grow? Think of Revelation 7, verse 9. A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Yeah. We may witness something more yet before Christ returns. We may. And we can pray for that. That day when the church will truly be the capital of the world, when it will be seen as such. The, the capital, the embassy of Christ's kingdom on the earth, reflecting love and truth. Of course, we know that won't be all, all as full as until Christ returns. But one thing we can do is that we can trust the Lord that he will keep his promise. How do we know? How many times does the Lord call himself Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts? And the Lord of hosts emphasizes God's commitment to his promises. He's the God of armies, way bigger than the armies of the biggest army of the world, bigger than the army of China, the God of armies. And that emphasizes his ability to carry out his promises. And he will bring those promises to completion. Will God ever fail in any one of his promises he has given us? No. And neither should we doubt. We should not look at ourselves and look how bad we are. Yes, we are sinful, but we look to Christ and we see all his promises is fulfilled in him. We trust in him. You know, be encouraged by his promises. You know, when we see the bright future, it's not going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to get better and better and better. Okay, with, with, because of God's grace. And when we, when we see that, we can be encouraged by that. We can continue to serve the Lord faithfully. We, you know, use your hands, says God, right? Continue to serve me with your hands. Continue to serve me faithfully. Continue to raise your children as true children of the Lord, sons and daughters, and continue in your witness. Continue in our rebuilding of the temple. We go forth in God's power. I love what uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom said. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. And so every Sunday again, the Lord reminds us he brings joy and feasting through his word and he brings joy and feasting visibly. There's no table here right now, but visibly through the table, the Lord's Supper, the wine, the bread. The feasting has begun and the feasting will become bigger and better in the days to come especially at his return. So may the Lord continue to use us for the bringing of many to himself, beginning 
right here with our own neighborhood. It's not easy. In many times, some of us may be mocked, may be hurt, but God's promises never fail. He will grow his church.